Welcome to Westchester Words Education, EdTech, and Publishing. I'm Nicole Tomasi, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Jay Diskey, the founder and principal of Jay Diskey Public Affairs. Jay will be discussing how education funding looks at the state level and what this could mean for K-12 educational material purchases over the next 12 to 24 months. Jay, I'm very pleased to welcome you to Westchester Words. Well, thank you, Nicole. I'm very pleased to join you today. So to begin with, for listeners who may not be familiar with who you are, could you talk a little bit about your professional background in policy as well as publishing and education? Uh, Well, the three words you mentioned, policy, publishing, and education, have largely defined my career over the past three and a half decades. Uh, In that time, I served as a special assistant to the U.S. Secretary of Education, uh, also as a senior staff member on the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Education. I later headed up uh, the K-12 division at the Association of American Publishers. Uh, now for the past six years, I've served as a consultant to many educational publishing and ed tech companies looking for opportunities, uh, largely, you know, state and federal. Uh, it is a market that is by and large, uh, nearly entirely controlled by government funding. So it's very important to keep a tabs on current policy, current funding, and help those companies find their way through the current uh, policy and funding thickets, so to speak. As you indicated, education is largely reliant on funding, whether at the federal or the state level. And certainly the last few years have been quite chaotic in K-12 education. But some of the good news, if we could call it that, is that states are receiving significant federal funding that came out of the three COVID relief bills. At a really high level, can you discuss how much funding states received for K-12 education and whether there are certain provisions that are attached to those allocations? Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, The three large federal relief and stimulus packages were passed by Congress in 2020 and 2021 in reaction, obviously, to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Taken together, the three packages provide $190 billion uh, in K-12 education funding. All three together, again, $190, represent a historic investment in U.S. education elementary education. It's the largest investment ever. Uh, The funds are flexible. Uh, In general, they can be spent on uh, helping schools and students recover from the pandemic. Learning recovery programs are at the top of the order. Funds can be spent on a variety of learning needs, including uh, developing new programs, learning strategies, professional development. The funds can also be used to purchase instructional materials and content, technology, Uh, and a variety of other things to help students and teachers, schools in general, recover from the pandemic. So again, it's a very large and historic uh, investment in K-12 education. If you don't mind my asking, in a more typical year, say like in 2019, for example, what kind of federal funding would normally be allocated for K-12 education? Yeah, goodness. In 2019, it was around 42 billion for K-12 education at the federal level. And now it's that's grown by a couple of billion. So you ask a, a very good question. And what it leads me to say is the relief money I talked about is on top of the normal annual federal allocations to K-12 education. Uh, so when you think of let's say 44 billion, which uh, it was real close to 44 billion for this current fiscal year, and you divide that into 190. Uh, that comes out to about four, 4.5, 4.5. 4. 
So in other words, we're seeing this huge, and I'll use the word again, historic investment that is four and a half times what the annual spend on education is. So it's quite remarkable. There's a lot of money out there for schools and school districts and quite frankly, uh, education vendors to look at. And how much time do states have to allocate or spend these additional federal funds? Well, here comes the difficulty. They don't have forever. Uh, all of the funds must be obligated, another federal contracting word for committed, by school districts and states by September 30th, 2023. If one were to ask what's so magical about September 30th, that is when the federal uh, fiscal year ends. So uh, September 30th, 2023 is the end of federal fiscal year for 2023. Now, what is very concerning is that at this point, here in the early fall of 2022, only about half of the funds have been spent. Largely the package one and two uh, funds have for the most part been spent. Package three, which was the largest of the three, uh, that's from the American Rescue Plan, the third package. A lot of those funds have not been spent and school districts are planning and allocating and figuring out how to go about this. It is concerning. It, it, it's leading to the creation of a lot of programs at, at this point in time uh, in which they are needed. But at the same time, it really is a compressed timeline. I'm often asked, well, gee, you know, can the deadline change? Can the U.S. Department of Education uh, simply up and move the deadline? The U.S. Department of Education has already indicated that for large Maintenance and capital projects, such as a whole new HVAC system in a school, there's probably some flexibility there because of timelines having to do with contracting and labor. But for implementing learning programs, by all likelihood, no. In order to change this, the issue would have to move back to Congress. And I don't think anybody really wants that to happen. It could take a long time to get figured out on Capitol Hill. Basically, uh, states have about 12, 12 and a half months to allocate those funds out of the American Rescue Plan. But that doesn't mean they have to spend them by the end of September 2023, right? Yeah, for the the most part. And again, the so-called obligation word is one that is not familiar to a lot of people. It's a federal contracting term, a term of art, so to speak, in federal contracts. It does mean commitment. I would imagine that as we move forward in this timeline, the word commitment will begin to be better defined. Uh, and perhaps the department will be able to find out where there are areas of flexibility. But setting that aside, uh, I don't think any state or school district ought to wait for flexibility to uh, you know, occur. And I don't think most uh, states are. Nicole, what this is all pointing out is that this is a huge amount of money to spend in a relatively compressed period of time. But it is what it is. Congress created this as a huge emergency fund to get schools uh, back on their feet and to help students in learning recovery. And frankly, without going too deep into test scores, the test scores that came out right at the end of August, the National Association of Education Progress, showed that there were uh, a lot of issues to be solved with learning recovery. In essence, for the first time, Scores in reading was first time since early 1990s. Scores in reading and mathematics at the K-12 level have taken a step backwards. 
There's been a steady climb from the past 30 or more years, but because of the pandemic, scores have gone backwards to some degree. So there's a lot of alarm, a lot of concern. Uh, the Secretary of Education has issued a number of statements about the need for full learning recovery. Well, it seems like there's certainly the additional funds to help address that. So let's hope that uh, states allocate wisely. Indeed, indeed. So primarily as a result of the federal infusion, Jay, uh, many states did increase their education budgets for the coming year, and in some cases by double-digit percentages. Uh, Can you touch on which states saw some of the largest increases? Yeah, indeed. Let me talk about some of the high enrollment states, uh, which for obvious reasons, the higher enrollments, the more students that can be reached. California, uh, their state aid number, to this is state aid to districts to support learning, schools and learning. California is up 13.7%. Michigan is up 14.6%. Pennsylvania is up 10.8%. Florida is up a little over 8%. New York, 7%, Ohio, 7.1%. And before anybody asks, raises their hand and say, what happened in Texas? Uh, Texas, the legislature was not in last year. It meets every other year. So the state did not have to produce a budget. So there's no number to give for legislative action in, in Texas. But all of these are very solid numbers. Most states, if not close to all, increase their education budgets. Now this is state aid, flows through the state departments of education and down to the districts. This does not even include some of the special programs that a state agency might have for certain types of activities, statewide literacy programs, for example, uh, and some other things as well. So indeed, it is a very good year for state budgets. Typically, as someone who's watched state budgets and education for more than 30 years, Usually a couple percentage points movement. It's a really good year. <laughs> and now we're looking at just in a number of states, you know, really nice uh, single digit and even uh, double digit increases. Do you think, Jay, that some of these uh, state increases are due to improved tax revenues or other funding sources besides the federal government? Yeah, it's, it's by, Nicole, it's a, by and large uh, tax revenue, state tax revenues coupled with the federal funding that we've been talking about. There's obviously record levels of both federal and state. Now, they were generated in various ways. You mentioned tax revenue, and you're spot on with the states. As states emerged from the pandemic, people started spending, started going out to restaurants again, started putting uh, expensive fuel in their cars. Uh, you know, buying those things that consumers buy. And it has caused uh, state tax revenues to shoot up in many, many states. States have used the funds in a variety of ways, but their highest priorities have been to create bigger rainy day funds or so-called surpluses, or whenever that next recession comes along. But right up there, uh, you know, is helping school districts uh, recover from the pandemic and adequately funding education programs. 
I might be delving a little bit out of my knowledge base here, but I, I live in a state where the education funding comes primarily from property taxes. And certainly where I live, we saw an exodus out of the major metropolitan areas into the suburban areas and home prices went skyrocketing up. So that increased the property taxes on those, which just gave uh, local districts more money to work from. I don't know if that's the case in other states around the country. Is that one of those knock on effects of the pandemic? Yeah, indeed it is. Now, one thing about property taxes is that the, the increases that certain communities, increases or decreases that certain communities will see will not be immediate. Usually there's a lag of uh, one to two years in computing uh, increases in, in property taxes. And in fact, there's some states and uh, communities that uh, only do it every three or four so that is, that'll be a lagging uh, effect from the pandemic, but it certainly is factored in uh, to all of the you know, bits and pieces of, of the economics of the pandemic and how the country is coming back together again uh, economically. So many pieces to the puzzle, aren't there? Oh, there are. There really are. <laughs> Jay, um, according to information that you had shared with me, there's about more than three dozen reviews that are taking place at the or or scheduled to take place at the state level for instructional materials over the next couple of years. Based on the experience that you have, what are some of the most significant ones that education companies should be keeping their eye on? Yeah, indeed. Uh, and again, as you mentioned, Nicole, these are state level reviews in the so-called adoption states. And there are 16 states that actively uh, adopt. The other states simply leave it to the uh, districts to do what they want to do uh, in terms of curriculum. But 16 states, such as California, Texas, Florida, the Carolinas, Tennessee, et cetera, a lot of states with you know, uh, significant populations have uh, state adoptions where they call on a fairly regular basis to certain subjects to be updated in accordance with uh, new standards, uh, for example. In terms of some of the reviews coming up, for example, in the next two years, and when I say two years, these are so-called bid review years. And so just looking at the 2023 bid review year and the 2024 bid review year, there are three dozen, approximately 40 states that have reviews and all sorts of subjects. For example, Florida, Texas, and North Carolina have scheduled reviews of science for 2023. The following year, Texas, Tennessee, and I think two or three other states have scheduled reviews of social studies materials. Now, one caveat, Texas may be uh, delaying that uh, review. I, we can keep you posted on that. Now, I mentioned science and I mentioned social studies. Are there other subjects? Of course, there are other subjects. There are math reviews, ELA, English language arts, arts, STEM adoptions, uh, world languages, for example. In other words, there's lots of opportunities out there, and they are occurring when fiscal conditions are very positive. Now, there are some education publishers that uh, are very intent on following adoptions and do so on a regular basis. Other Publishers may not want to get directly involved in the adoption process, but what I always advise clients to do is that if you're not quite ready or interested in preparing materials for adoption, 
keep an eye on the adoption. Uh, if you have subjects in those areas, many of the adoption states are still free, uh, allow their districts to, the freedom to adopt, and they don't have to go by the state adopted list. And we can get deeper into that at some other point if you would uh, like to, Nicole. That actually is the perfect time for me to share that uh, you'll be coming back to join us on Thursday, October 13th, when Westchester Education Services is going to be hosting a webinar about 2023 K-12 education policy and the funding outlook. You'll be talking a little further in depth about this topic, as well as answering questions that attendees have, whether that's education publishers, ed tech companies, or just people who are interested in what's going on in the education space and how the outlook is for the next couple years, visit our website, westchestereducationservices.com and register for free. Jay, there's one final question that I like to ask our guests because of the thoughtful responses that they share. What is a piece of advice you wish someone had given you when you were starting out in your professional career or that you would like to share with others today? Yeah, very good question. Well, I'll give a piece of advice that somebody gave me in the mid-1990s on my, on my first job, or maybe even before I was starting my first job. Uh, and it's this, throughout a person's career, they should find a way to make themselves indispensable, indispensable to their colleagues, their superiors, and their clients. Make yourself indispensable by working hard and, and really take whatever, you know, whatever you can do to make the job about others, uh, not about you, so to speak. I have found that in doing so, uh, you will help yourself and others succeed many times over. So I hope that quick bit of advice makes some sense. Actually, it makes more sense than you would probably know, because funnily enough, about that time in the early to mid 90s, I was working for a publisher who put out a title called The Indispensable Employee. There you go. And I read that book and took some tips away that in some cases did make me indispensable. I think you hit on some very good points that when you're of service to others first rather than to yourself, in a way you do make yourself indispensable. So I think that was spot on. Jay, I want to thank you so much for sharing those words of wisdom as well as for joining me today on Westchester Words. I'm looking forward to learning more from you about the federal funding outlook and just the general funding outlook for education in next month's webinar. Likewise. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Westchester Words. If you're looking for previous episodes or want to read additional content that has been shared by some of our guests, please visit our websites, westchesterpublishingservices.com and westchestereducationservices.com. For an international perspective, check out our sister podcast, Westchester Words UK and International, available on the Westchester Education UK website, westchestereducation.co.uk, or wherever you stream podcasts. We love hearing from our listeners and welcome your emails at westchesterwords at westchesteredsvcs.com. Tell us what you enjoy hearing on our podcast or suggest topics that we can cover in future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, I look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Westchester Words when we'll be having another engaging conversation about a topic of interest to the education, edtech, and publishing communities. Until then, stay safe, be well, and stay tuned.